0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us.
1: It was the day of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus when our God reconciled the whole world unto himself. It was then... That he no longer counted our sins against us, for God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself, no longer counting our sins against us. This was the resolution to a problem that had been established in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, way back in the beginning of our history, in the beginning of recorded history of humanity, that was when the problem began. It was a problem that resulted from the willful rejection of Adam and Eve of their God, When they decided to believe the satanic lie that they could function as their God had intended them to function without their God indwelling within them, they believed the satanic lie that if they could only know what was right and wrong, what was good and evil, then they could perhaps function as God intended them to function. Only to discover that that was a lie, and that is what the Lord our God has been trying to reveal to us ever since then, that there is no way that we can possibly function as he intended us to function on the basis of knowing what is good and evil. Instead, we were created for the sole purpose of having our God indwelling within us, and with his presence indwelling within us, we would be dependent on him dependent in a personal relational perspective, in the sense that if we were to experience the true character and nature of our God towards us, then in that way we would be able to respond to the circumstances of life in the world around us on the basis of what we receive or on the basis of what we have in our relationship with our God. Instead, without the presence of God indwelling within us, we were in a condition to live in this world without our Creator, without the relational aspects of our Creator indwelling within us. He provided for us the very fulfillment for the deepest needs that we were created to have, the need for perfect and absolute unconditional love and acceptance, the need to have an understanding of the world around us and the circumstances in our life, and the need to have purpose and direction in terms of future goals and events and purpose for why we are here and what we may do in the future. The need to be respected and the need to have a sense of security, all of these needs and many more were fulfilled through our God indwelling within us, through his presence within us, providing us with the deep fulfillment of what we need in the deepest part of who we are. But when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they experienced the law. They experienced the fulfillment and the reality of the law that our God imposed on Adam and Eve, and that was in the day that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In that day, they would surely die. And they certainly did. They did die. It was not a physical death. The physical death was a secondary reaction that occurred many years later. The death that truly occurred at that moment, at that day, which is what he declared, that in that moment, in that very day, without exception, most certainly, they would surely die. That death was a spiritual death. It was a spiritual death in the sense that the Spirit of God that had been breathed within them when they were created was withdrawn, and so they were effectively dead to their God. And this left them in a condition to search throughout their entire life to try to find what they had lost. What they had lost was the fulfilling aspects of their God, and without that, they were condemned to search within the world, because that's all that they had at their disposal, to search for perfect love, acceptance, meaning and purpose, respect and a sense of security, and other qualities that we most certainly were created to have a need to have met, and our only alternative was to try and find that in the world, or through our relationships with others. And this, of course, leads to sin, because there's no way to obtain what our God created us to only obtain from Him. And the pursuit of fulfillment outside of a relationship with Him leads us to sin. This was what the Lord Jesus died for. He died for the sins of humanity, understanding and recognizing that we had absolutely no hope whatsoever, That there was no way that we were ever going to be able to experience a relationship with our creator because of the sin indwelling within us, which is by definition the absence of our God within us, and then our pursuit of trying to find fulfillment in the midst of that emptiness and the conclusions, the reactions, the results of our pursuits of those things. That's what tends to lead us to sin. Our God knew our condition and understood our condition. And it was when the Lord Jesus died on the cross that he finally, at that point in history, resolved the sin issue between himself and humanity, between God and man. The sin issue came to an end. It was no longer ever going to be an issue between man and God. He was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer ever counting our sins against us. This was a very important event and a very pivotal moment in the history of humanity, a very pivotal moment. But mankind certainly wasn't saved, because that wasn't the only problem that needed to be resolved. The forgiveness of sins was not the only problem that needed a solution. The spiritual death of humanity still needed to be resolved, and that was something that he did, that was something that he dealt with later on, in fact, just a few weeks later. This was the Feast of Passover. It was the Feast of Passover when the Lord Jesus was executed. The following feast after the Feast of Passover is what is called Shavuot and is also known as the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost, which I'll refer to it just because it's a little bit easier to say in English than Shavuot in Hebrew and English at the same time. I'm just going to use the word Pentecost out of convenience. The Feast of Pentecost occurred 50 days later. Now, later than what it's difficult to say, there are different interpretations. The Pharisees believed, according to the law, that the Feast of Pentecost occurred 50 days after the Sabbath of the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This would occur on the 15th day of the month. The Sadducees, however, interpreted the law as being the Sabbath day of the weekly Sabbath, And so we normally would look at Sunday or the first day of the week as the beginning day to count, 49 days later, and then on the 50th day, according to the law, which would then also be a Sunday, that would be the Feast of Pentecost. There were some contentions, there were some differences with regards to this. The Sadducees decided that it would be on the first day of the week following the 49 days after the first Sabbath, the seventh day Sabbath after the first Passover, The Pharisees, however, celebrated Pentecost 50 days after the High Holy Day Sabbath of the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread that occurred on the 15th day of the month. And so there were some skewings, there were some differences, and the church has adopted the Sadduceical point of view. There is reasonable uncertainty, and so either day would certainly be adequate when considering the details of the law. There doesn't need to be any contention with regards to that. There was a tradition, however, that I certainly do have a little bit of a difference with regards to, and that is that the Feast of Pentecost was assumed to be the day when the law was given to the children of Israel. And many Jews celebrate the Feast of Pentecost as being the day of the giving of the law, This was based on Exodus chapter 19. However, if you look very closely at Exodus chapter 19 and verse 1, it does say that it was three months after they left to the day they left Egypt, which means that that's about 90 days, not 50 days. Now, you could subtract off 15 days depending upon how you look at that and also add an additional three days because of the time period of consecration. Regardless of how you do the math, I don't see any way that you can get 50 days after they left Egypt to say that that was the day of the giving of the law. And so I personally believe that that is a tradition that is not based on the law of Moses, that is not based on the scriptures. But there are many people who sincerely believe that. There was a more important event that happened on this day, however, and that occurred during the Feast of Pentecost after the Lord Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. It was this Pentecost that was of great significance. This Pentecost was the most important day of the church because it was on this day that the Lord Jesus resolved the problem, the true problem between man and God. Now, certainly, the sin problem was a very important problem, no question about that whatsoever, and did, most certainly, that did need to be resolved. It was resolved on the day that he died, but there was a more important problem, a very important problem, that also was left unresolved until the Feast of Pentecost, and that was the spiritual death of humanity. You see, when Adam and Eve were created, he was effectively created in the image of God. And that was through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the word image meant to be a reflection thereof. And so Adam lived in dependency and received the very character and nature of God portrayed to him, and he reflected that in the life that he lived in response to the circumstances that he would be confronted with in daily life. That was how he was created, and it solely depended on the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that had been breathed into him. The Lord God breathed within him the breath of life, and he became a living being. When he sinned in the Garden of Eden, that life was withdrawn, and so he became a dead being. The presence of the Holy Spirit of God was withdrawn from within, Adam, and so he became spiritually dead. He became dead to his God and yet very much alive to the world. And this was the main problem that needed to be resolved. The sin issue was certainly a very important issue, but the death issue was even more important. And that is what really needed to be resolved between man and God, because there was no way that we would ever function as he intended us in any remote sense of the word function. There is no way that we would function as our God created us without his indwelling presence within us. It was on the Feast of Pentecost that the Lord Jesus presented the Holy Spirit of God to humanity. It was then that it was given to those who believed in Him, who believed in what He was doing, who believed in what He came to accomplish, and who believed that He was the Messiah. It was on this day that the Holy Spirit was given, poured out to humanity, and would now indwell within people, within His people, so that they would be resurrected from the dead in the sense that they would become alive, having the very life of God indwelling within them. Death is the absence of life, and they were dead until the presence of the life of God, the very Holy Spirit of God, was restored to them. This was a very important event in the history of humanity, a very important event in the history of the church. It was at this point that salvation finally arrived. It was here that mankind could be saved. In Romans chapter 5, verses 8, 9, and 10, it says very clearly what salvation is, especially in verse 10. How much more, having been reconciled by the death of his son, you shall be saved by his life. It was then that we experienced salvation, that they experienced salvation through the restoration of life. The forgiveness of sins is not salvation. The forgiveness of sins is what makes salvation possible. It was the restoration of the Holy Spirit, the very life of God. It was through that that we were effectively saved. This is described very well in Acts chapter 2, and I would like to read through Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 1, and so you can see the events unfold. In Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It was here in verse 4 that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This was a major event because before this point in history, before this time of history, people could only have the presence of the Holy Spirit come upon them. But it is here for the first time that the Holy Spirit would actually indwell a person. And through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, a person would be resurrected from the dead, from among those who are spiritually dead, born in this world in the image of Adam, not in the image of God. It is at this point that the first group of people are finally saved through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And now that the sins of humanity have been totally forgiven, there is now no sin that they can possibly commit that would cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within them. And so the life that they now have is going to be an eternal life or an everlasting life. Something that they have right now will never lose. It will never leave them. They are resurrected now from the dead permanently, and this life that is indwelling within them will carry them on into eternity, even after they physically die. Continuing on in verse 5, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language." Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. This was a very important event. What we have here is a clear description of what was taking place to validate the reality that the Holy Spirit is now indwelling within them. And that is the key point that here is the moment, here is the time in history when our God is validating the reality that He has now presented salvation to humanity, that people can actually be saved from their sins and from their condition of spiritual death and so that they can be born again of the very Spirit of God and so that they can begin to walk in a new life, a life of a personal, interactive relationship with their Creator, individually, uniquely, so that their God could meet the very deepest needs that they have in the very core of their being. And the validation that was given is referred to as the gift of tongues. Now, the word tongues can be a very deceiving word to use. It is not really the best word to use in our common English vernacular today. The most correct word to use would be languages. That is most certainly without question the best translation of this word, that we are to look at this in the context of languages. And when we read through the scripture passages here, it is clear that these are languages, that these are distinct languages, and that these languages were understood by the people who were there. Consider verse 6, where it says again, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together, and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Understand, it was in their own language. Here, the word is correctly translated. And then in verse 7, Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And then Luke begins to list the languages that were heard. Perhaps not all of the languages are listed here, but we have many of them that describe the reality that people were hearing their own language. There was absolutely no confusion whatsoever about what was being said by anyone, no confusion at all, no uncertainty. Those who were hearing were hearing every word clearly and had no uncertainty whatsoever with regards to what was being communicated. This is the event in the early church. This is the event when the church is born in Jerusalem, when the first people in the history of the world are saved. It is here that this happens. In the end of verse 10, it says, both Jews and proselytes. You see, many people assembled in Jerusalem on this day. This was a festival that everyone was required to attend if they would identify themselves as being an Israelite. And there were people from all over the place, from all over the world, who were congregating in Jerusalem. And there was no requirement for there to be a total public assembly with everyone. Everyone just needed to be within the geographical vicinity of Jerusalem and participate in the festival. This was a very convenient time, especially if people were going to present their tithes to the temple, this was a good time because it coincided very well with when Food would be harvested and collected and then divided up and partitioned, this would be a good time for people to come into Jerusalem and deliver a part of their annual tithe as they would harvest and collect it and present it and make it available for others to make use of. So there were a lot of people there, but there were not just Jews by birth, but there were also Jews who were converted to Judaism. In other words, they were Gentiles who converted to Judaism and they are trying to live in obedience to the law, and so they are attending a festival that they would be required to attend by law. There were three that they were required to attend every year. The first one was Passover. The second one was this one here, the Feast of Pentecost. And the third one is the Feast of Tabernacles that will happen several months later. So everyone in Israel was in town, but not everyone was here at this specific location, obviously. But those who were here, they did see the events take place, and they were witnesses to what was happening. They were witnesses to what was occurring. There was a tremendous miracle that was taking place, and they were here to see it, to witness it, and to have the opportunity to respond to what was happening, to what was happening here during this very critical moment in the birth of the church. What was taking place again was that clear communication was being projected from some people and others were hearing in their language. It would be as though I was speaking right now in English just as you're hearing this program being broadcasted And yet, as I speak in this language, there would be many people who would hear in their own language simultaneously. There would be this miraculous interpretation that would take place so that while I speak in one language, many people would be hearing in multiple languages as the translation would occur by the very Holy Spirit of God in order to validate what I am saying about my God. That would be another example of what would be taking place here. If you were to consider one person here in the list of people that most certainly were speaking, if you were to look at this one person, they would be speaking in a language that they knew, most likely Aramaic, and others would be hearing in a language that they knew, all simultaneously with the Holy Spirit performing a translation between everyone. That is what is taking place here. It is a very critical time. It is a very important time. And this was the miracle that our God presented in order to validate the giving of the Holy Spirit of God. And in doing so, he provided a miracle that enabled the clear communication of this truth, the clear communication of this gospel to everyone who was there, so that there was no confusion about what was happening. There was no uncertainty about what our God was doing. Our God was saving people at this point. He was now presenting, giving the very Holy Spirit of Himself to others so that they could be resurrected from the dead, be born again, and be saved. And He used this miracle as a means of validating it and conveying the truth of it so there would be no uncertainty. If you consider the Holy Spirit being the translator, there would be no uncertainty whatsoever with regards to what was being said, with regards to what was being communicated, with regards to what people were hearing. The true message of the gospel would initially be presented and so that others would hear it and then be able to go out and begin to spread it throughout the entire world. This was a very important event, especially when you consider how difficult it can be to communicate things to other people who may not speak the same language that you do. When considering the Jews and the Gentiles, which is what we have here, we have a description of Jews and proselytes, all of which effectively were recognized as Jews. The proselytes were simply converts to Judaism. When you consider the grouping of people, the collective groups of people all assembling together The Jews and the Gentiles, and they all speak different languages. This is a moment where our God breaks down the language barrier. So there is clear communication between people, unifying everyone, unifying the Jew and the Gentile, so that they would be able to communicate with one another without question about what was being said, and with great ease, given that the Holy Spirit would be doing the translating, so that the Jew and the Gentile can truly become one in the Messiah, one new person, a born-again believer, now a child of the living God. That is the most powerful message that I can see here in Acts chapter 2 with regards to the gift of tongues or the gift of languages, is that our God enabled for the clear communication between the Jew and the Gentile to unify them, to unite them, to eliminate any confusion between the two. For the clear communication of the word of God and the truth of our God, the message of the gospel, and to experience the restoration of the Holy Spirit that has now been made available to humanity for the first time ever in the history of mankind. A very important event and a very important moment in our history. Now there are many people who look at these passages very differently. There is a different persuasion about the subject of tongues or the subject of languages, that it is a language that is not necessarily understood." And that is what is predominantly being taught today is that many people sincerely believe based on their experiences, based on their history and their denomination, based on the spiritual aspects of what they are experiencing personally, based on a number of reasons. Many people sincerely believe that the gift of tongues, the gift of languages, is a gift that is given and the expression of it is to speak in a language that we do not understand is to speak out in a language that we have never learned, that we may not ever even be able to identify. And in doing so, that becomes an example of, or a testimony, that we have received the Holy Spirit. Some people are teaching that. I sincerely do not believe that. I do not see that here in the scriptures. I do not see it here. What we have being described here is clear communication. Those who are speaking have no doubts with regards to what they are saying. Those who are there to hear have no confusion with regards to what is being said. Those who are saved and becoming part of the church and those who are apparently lost and did not necessarily believe that Jesus was the Messiah and was investigating to see what was going on. To me, there is a clear description here of clear communication taking place without any confusion whatsoever. The only confusion that did exist was why they understood what other people were saying in their own native language, that was confusing to them because they didn't understand how that could possibly occur. But this is a miracle of God. This is an absolute miracle of our Creator to allow for the clear communication. And I sincerely believe that this is important to identify and recognize because if you don't, it's very easy to miss the incredible miracle that has occurred. And it's important not to miss this because you will take away from what the scriptures say. It's very easy to interpret these passages on the basis of what we see happening today. However, just because we see things happening today does not necessarily mean that they do coincide or correspond to what was happening back then. It's important to see that, otherwise it's very easy to miss the true events as they were unfolding and the meaning behind those events to understand exactly and precisely what the Lord our God was really doing. Well, I am out of time for this broadcast, and so I will have to continue in the next program.